You sound like you're speaking an alien language to me. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Greetings. This is Frankie. <laughs> and this is Jake. Woo! Uh, we are Fear the Talking Queers. Yes, I'm Jake. Wait, we already said our names, didn't we? Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually reporting to you live from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, we are out of this world today. Um, but we are so excited to bring this episode on Mars Attacks. Yes. Uh, actually, there's a sequel currently in production called Uranus Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Starring me and Frankie. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Starring Fears Talking Queers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, casting notice will be going out soon. Only yes. apply if um, you're sexy, fly, hot, and cute. Yeah, and you take your acting uh, career very seriously. <laughs> yes, exactly. We need lots of Uranusians um, <laughs> to probe us. Anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, the movie on everyone's lips. We have to talk about it. Yes. All right. This week, we are bringing you a spoiler-free uh, mini-review of the newest installment of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that just released on Netflix. Yes, for us it just released, but by the time you listen to this, it'll have been like almost a month. Ah, yes! <laughs> no, and it'll be no, so like stale, two. nobody will want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> like, what movie? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Well, yeah. actually, kind of. <laughs> kind of? I mean, it's taken me two watches of it to remember what happened, because it, to me, it is incredibly forgettable yes so if you've been living under a rock you obviously (laughs) would know that netflix released a new texas chainsaw massacre sequel back on february 18th um and they went the requel route to try and clean things up right a direct sequel to the original ignoring all of the other uh sequels that came before it which honestly is for the best that's fine yeah i think it is one of the better sequels which I mean, unfortunately for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's not saying much. Yes, that is true. You know, I don't think that this franchise is as cherished as some of the other ones. As a franchise, I think the first movie, 1974, is held to a high standard. But everything else that came after it is sort of just always swept under the rug. Yeah, I agree. I feel like people really love the first one, but... You know, I think people kind of shy away from saying if they like any of the sequels because really they're not that great. And I think that the only other movie that has really gotten, you know, praise, at least within the horror community, is 2003. And so, yeah. it, it, but there have been many sequels, you know, in between then, after then, um, uh, new re- iterations, Leatherface, all these things. And nobody seems to really uh, care too much about those. So, um, no. 
so now we get this new one. We get this requel. We get them trying to retcon the story a little bit and bring back a legacy character. Oh, and no. It yeah. is, uh, it's a quite an interesting way of doing it. Um, yeah. Especially bringing back this iconic character of Sally Hardesty, but it's like... Not her. It's not her. I'm sorry, but the <laughs> fact that... You know, the original actress. Miss Marilyn Burns. Miss Marilyn Burns. She's not alive anymore. She passed away in 2014. She's no longer with us. Um, So to bring back the character with a different actress just feels a little weird. It'd be like if if Halloween 2018 happened and another bitch was playing Laurie Strode. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I think that's, that's why it's more acceptable in Texas Chainsaw because Texas Chainsaw is not as cherished as Halloween. As sure. a franchise. And, a and franchise. she showed up in many a many a sequel. So we've right. got to know well, her. We've got to know Sydney. We've got to know these yeah. characters over a course of movies. She's only in one movie. But I will say, I don't think bringing legacy characters back is as effective if it's not the original actor. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was, I laughed. Yeah, part of the excitement for fans is not just the character returning, but the actor returning to fill the role of the character. Yes, exactly. Obviously they, you know, it's about their portrayal of this character. It's how they, you know, what they brought to it. And, you know, so to bring somebody else into it, it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so I don't like the character is only half the, the thing, you know, I want to see that, that actress played that character. And the whole intro of this movie was really explaining the events of 1974, which I thought they could have just, like, explained her character, what she went through, and then cut it off. And we didn't need to actually (laughs) see her. Because they totally just ripped off Laurie Strode's 2018 storyline. Yes, It's like the final girl from the original movie spends the rest of her life preparing to come face-to-face with her attacker. She's been searching for 30, 40 years to find this person. She even says, I waited 50 years for this. It's like, okay, for this? God. Yeah. Yeah, wow. And then, I mean, okay, we're keeping this spoiler free, so I'm not going to say what happens to her. But uh, what's what the was point? the point? What was the point? What was the point? Sorry if you haven't watched it yet. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. I also think, well, I guess the movie was already done by the time you explained what you wanted Kirby to do in like a scream <laughs> yeah well, exactly that's basically what she did so if you, no spoilers but if you go back and listen to our last episode where we talk about what we want from scream six <laughs> jake basically described what sally goes through in this movie exactly, exactly what, happens. what happens down um, to so the n- weapons um, yeah <laughs> as far as the rest of the characters they were pretty underdeveloped i don't know and i and i get it like i feel like there was similarities in the original to this was that there was a bit of a class warfare going on, right? Whereas in the right. 70s, it was sort of this, like, the hippies versus the the rural community. Yes, that the economy left behind. Yes, exactly. And this one, it's sort of similar, but instead of hippies, it's now, you know, these, like, social liberal media, liberal social media kids who, you know, want to create a more utopian better society so they they buy this ghost town in order to you know start from scratch in a world where there's no violence and um you know just idealistic youth basically yes exactly i think the difference is that 1974 had an unintentional social commentary like they didn't purposefully write that 
cryptic reflection of our nation at the time into the script. Whereas in this one, this movie actually like plugged it into the storytelling, like that idea. Like the liberals exactly. versus the conservatives, uh, which obviously is like a huge thing going on constantly in our nation. And it's it brought up the issues of gentrification and gun control, which at first seems really smart because it's like, okay, now we know what we're doing as far as the Texas Chainsaw franchise, which I'm yeah. glad they kind of stuck to the roots of the storytelling, like kind sure. of, you know, take it and apply it. Sure. However, these ideas are just mentioned, like they're never really yeah. explored. There's never really a point. It's just like exactly politics, like death doesn't care about politics. Right, exactly. That's essentially what the storyline is. And it's sort of exactly what Scream 2022 pointed out. It's like, you know, you try to add too much social commentary, which, you know, tries to substitute, you know, or like, yeah, substitute itself for good storytelling or character development. Like, just because you have social commentary in it doesn't mean that this is this is quality you know right there was potential yeah there's potential yeah because the storytelling of this movie ends in the first 30 minutes as soon as the 30 first 30 minutes is over <laughs> it is pure bloodshed bloodbath <laughs> kill spree great which we love we love that as slasher fans there's nothing wrong with that but don't bring up these like deep story yeah you know these deep sort of yeah <laughs> commentaries you know, I was talking to my homegirl, Aureli, you know, we've talked about her before on this podcast, and she mentioned that she saw the opportunity to actually dig a little deeper into the social commentary they presented when the characters of Richter and Lila have a conversation about her. She's as a survivor of a school shooting, yeah. and he lives in Texas. He's very pro-gun. And there could have been a better conversation when they meet um, and have this conversation with each other. And they could have met in the middle. There could have been this really eye-opening conversation that they had. Um, that would later play into the use of guns later in the film. Yeah. But it's just cut short. And then so the message is just completely misdirected. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. So that brings us to um, the kills, I would say. The kills to me are absolutely the best part. For a slasher movie, that's that's important. <laughs> I think a lot of that had to do with the setup of Leatherface. I thought in this movie he was really powerful and vicious. Definitely one of the better versions of Leatherface was in this movie. Yeah, and there's one very intense sequence in it that everybody's been talking about on social media um, where a lot of people die. (laughs) And it's in the trailer. It's that, you know, bus massacre. It It was great. It was great. Like, it was just pure slasher like you know just greatness of course um, of course yeah i got chills with one kill in particular where it involves some head bashing i thought that was i was like oh like i was cringing and i got chills i was like wow this movie gave me goosebumps that doesn't rarely happen so i i would probably equate this movie to the same quality i would give to halloween kills it's very similar in the balance of you know quality of kills versus quality of storytelling you know, where they, right. do, you know, poorly executed social commentary and, but then the violence and the gore is top notch. So there's good and there's bad, there's balance. And, you know, so I think this movie, while I did call it forgettable, um, it is, it's not horrible. I enjoyed it for, you know, the, while watching it, but it's not something I'm probably going to go back personally and, you know, revisit after the first time. Uh, out of five, what would you give it? Um, I would give it a three. I still think that 1974 and 2003 are worth, are the only ones worth watching in this franchise. But I think that this movie is appealing to a wider audience beyond just us horror fans. Yeah. So I do give it credit for that. And I mean, I just give them credit for even just making sense of Leatherface. Like his motive made sense. 
you know, where he's been made total sense. So I thought they did a decent job putting all the pieces together. It was just a matter of how detailed those pieces were. So three out of five. Great. Yeah. I'd probably give it like a two and a half out of five. You know me. This isn't my my favorite franchise in the world. I don't really care for... I don't know. You know me and Hillbilly Horror. It's just not not my faves. And so... um, But that doesn't affect... I mean, I went into it completely open-minded and... It was actually better than I thought it would be. Yeah, same. It was better than I expected it to be. And that's why I give it a two and a half out of five. Because it could have been worse, to be honest, for me. Solid sequel, but still not quite right. (laughs) Agreed, agreed. All right, well... That uh, concludes our little mini review of Miss Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. Yes. Did you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let us know. I will say that I was kind of upset with how many people were more forgiving to this movie than they were Scream 2022. Oh, I know. I I was like, excuse me, not the same people bashing Scream 2022, but calling this movie brilliant. I was like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) (laughs) do you know what? I guess to each their own, but goddamn. It's like, those Friday the 13th fans, girl. I already oh know who my it God. is. I already know who it is. It's those we Friday fans. Come, we always come for those Friday the 13th <laughs> fans. <laughs> One day, you, you were actually going to get murdered by them. They're gonna... <laughs> as long as it's an inventive kill. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. But speaking of attacks, that brings us <gasps> to our movie this week. Beam me up to Mars. Is that the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want a Mars bar. What's in a Mars bar? I don't even know. I just said that and I don't even know if I know what's in it. Isn't that a company? Probably. But is there a Mars bar? No, right. But isn't Mars bar a company? Oh my God. I don't know. Oh no. Okay. Mars bar. Okay. Is the name of two varieties of chocolate bar produced by Mars Incorporated. It was first Mm. manufactured in 1932. Who cares? Um, The bar consists of caramel and nougat coated with milk chocolate. Oh, it's like a fucking Three Musketeers. It honestly looks like a piece of dookie in the pictures. <laughs> and that's why I love it. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> wow. That brings us to our movie. Um, we are doing the uh, 1996 sci-fi satire star-studded cast film Mars Attacks, directed by the one and only dark prince of film tim burton absolutely yeah this movie is based on a series of trading cards that um were from i think originally the 60s or 70s and then resurfaced in the 90s yeah the 80s actually they came back. oh the 80s yeah yes. yeah, yeah. And, and they were like the they were these these trading cards that depicted the aliens that pretty much that we see in this movie they look exactly alike and obviously the exactly. inspiration carried right over which is awesome and i guess these trading cards were pretty controversial because they were very dark they graphic yeah they were very graphic and they showed people being maimed and murdered and and animals being burned alive and like in some really horrible ways that the uppity people the parents you know them favorites yeah yeah they uh they had to put their two cents in and got the cards discontinued that led to them not resurfacing until the 80s when you know things were a little less sensitized (laughs) yes exactly and this movie was actually almost dinosaurs attacks because there was also a trading card series and this from the same company dinosaurs attack but 
the Lost World Jurassic Park was coming out and Tim Burton already knew about that. They were like, well, we don't want to compete with a Jurassic Park like a Steven Spielberg yeah. film. So right. let's do the Mars one, which I think was a huge payoff. <laughs> no, I think so. I think so, too. I mean, I, I, it really gave Tim Burton the opportunity to pay homage to Ed Wood, who he had just come off of directing a film about. You know? Exactly. And so he was really inspired by the making of that film because Ed Wood is the notorious, you know, sci-fi B movie director from the nineteen fifties who made the movies like Plan Nine from Outer Space. And Creatures from the San Andreas Fall. <laughs> <laughs> Amazombies and all those. <laughs> no, he like made these, you know, very no- notorious, infamous films. And uh, Tim Burton was inspired, so he's like, Great, let's take this opportunity with Mars Attacks to make a movie that is an homage to the B-movies of the 1950s, which is great. The unfortunate thing for Mars Attacks was the U.S. didn't get it, but overseas they got it, but the box office domestically was <laughs> sort of underperforming, but we have to remember it was competing in theaters with the likes of Jerry Maguire and Scream because they all came out in December of 1996. And we know how big those box office hits were. So yeah. this just sort of paled in comparison, especially because Independence Day had come out just exactly. like six months prior. People thought that this movie was like like the Mad Magazine, Mad TV version of Independence Day. But these movies were in development <laughs> at the same time. There's no way that these two movies were inspired by each or other. Or yeah, inspired by each other by any means. And so it's just sort of unfortunate timing that these two mass alien invasion movies came out and one took itself very seriously and one obviously did not and you know i guess the people were more inclined to take the one take that seriously so yeah i think because people take themselves seriously so we'll get into it as we talk as we talk about this intro all right all right well uh let's get into it then then this is mars attacks go off sis Mars Attacks, released in 1996, written by Jonathan Gems, directed by Tim Burton. Our movie begins in a rural town where citizens witness a stampede of burning cows running down the road as a huge UFO lifts away from the sky and into space. Credits roll, revealing an all-star cast as more UFOs make their way toward Earth. Title card, Mars Attacks. The President of the United States, James Dale, played by Jack Nicholson, is alerted of the large number of spacecrafts which have been reportedly launched from the planet Mars. While General Decker, played by Rod Steiger, demands immediate military deployment, Professor Donald Kessler, played by Pierce Brosnan... Mm, Heart the Rob, especially in this movie. Oh, this is like Uh, peak hot Pierce. I want him to pierce me. Oh, pierce me right in my butthole. (laughs) (laughs) My Brosnan. Um... Professor Donald Kessler suggests that the General's plans are uncalled for, claiming that they know very little about these aliens and that this could be a new chapter for humanity. The President's press secretary, Jerry, played by Martin Short, gets to work on how to release this information. 
Meanwhile, in Las Vegas, we meet Barbara, played by Annette Benning at a casino. She complains to her hotelier husband, Art, played by Jack Nicholson, yet again, in a dual role. <laughs> yeah, weird, but cool. <laughs> weird, but cool. And apparently this is because uh, Jack Nicholson made a joke on set. He's like, I want to play all the characters. And so oh. they're like, well, how about you play another one? Have at it. She calls out his greedy, crooked business schemes and says that they are destroying the planet. In the same casino, we meet waiter slash ex-boxer Byron Williams, played by Jim Brown, who gets a call from his ex-wife back in D.C., Louise, played by Pam Greer. She informs him she's worried because their children haven't been home in days. The next day, Louise finds her kids Cedric and Neville, played by Ray J. and Brandon Hammond, while driving her usual bus route. They're playing in an arcade before she confronts and punishes them. The president has a newscast televised in which the world is made aware of the Martians' impending arrival. Meanwhile, we meet the Norris family. Richie, played by Lucas Haas. His brother, Billy Glenn, played by Jack Black. Billy's girlfriend, Sharona, played by Christina Applegate. Their parents and their grandmother, Florence, played by Sylvia Sidney. They send off Billy Glenn as he's enlisted in alien detail in case the country needs to fight against the Martians. Afterward, Richie drops his grandmother off at her nursing home where she spends her time petting her taxidermied cat, Muffy, and listening to her favorite record, Slim Whitman's Indian Love Call. Professor Kessler is brought onto a daytime news show, in which he's interviewed by newscaster Natalie Lake, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, who interviews him with her chihuahua, Poppy, by her side. Natalie's boyfriend and rival newscaster Jason Stone, played by Michael J. Fox, notes that she seems to be flirting with the professor when the news transmission goes out completely and all television signals are blocked by a transmission from the Martians. A cartoonish Martian with a large brain begins to speak in an intergalactic language, stunning the nation. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, here's what I was talking about before we started this when I said I think people liked Independence Day more because they take themselves more seriously, so they prefer the serious <laughs> version of the storyline. Because yeah. this film was so polarizing to critics and audiences alike that even Tim Burton almost gave up directing and then nobody understands my vision, you know. I know, I know, because it is so wacky. The whole thing is just kind of <laughs> absolute bonkers but well the studio even pissed all over this movie and ultimately shut down tim burton's next big project which was going to be superman starring nicholas cage ew thank fuck uh, i know right <laughs> but you know what <laughs> i will say that i think that this movie kind of suffers the same fate as don't look up and that oh, it I, is i was literally thinking the right? same exact thing when i was watching it i was like Oh my god, this is the don't look up of the 90s. The 90s. The premise of the movie is quite similar, um, but that movie also left audiences divided while I loved it. I was surprised to see how many people hated it, but I think it was the same for this movie. And I was reading about this, how people took this in, and like internationally it was a success, but in the US it was not. And I they were saying that people in the US especially do not like when a film, when the joke is on them in a film oh for sure because this movie is full on satire of the united states the military the government but also we get so many different perspectives on this we get like you know lower class we get middle class we get celebrities we get politicians you know we get yeah so i mean and so we're getting all these different perspectives but all of them kind of have like a 
kind of a funny wink and nod like haha like this is take a look at yourself because this is all kind of silly like uh, how you act yeah because it sort of depicts u.s citizens as no matter what class you're from just daffy yeah all stupid (laughs) you're all stupid and goofy yeah just goofy ass people which you know what maybe they're not wrong i think i think that this happens a lot where people watch what happens in the u.s and they just laugh at us (laughs) yeah i'm laughing (laughs) to keep from crying to be honest exactly I did want to make a mention that Jonathan Gems is not the only person who wrote this movie. He um, was actually fired because he wrote 11 drafts of the film, all which opened with these burning cows. But the studio kept telling him to cut that scene out of the script, but he wouldn't. So they ultimately fired him and brought on um, Ed Wood's writers, Larry Karazuski and uh, Scott Alexander. And they finished off the film, but the burning cows were still in it. So... Yeah, and also, um, I don't remember where I read this, but somebody gives credit to Tim Burton saying that he also contributed a lot to the script and that he um, did that without wanting any credit for it. So he also contributed Mm. a lot, not just directing, but also to the script as well. I will say that Ed Wood's, um, uh, like his influence is definitely present. Like this movie does feel very 50s sci-fi, but applied to the 90s. So it sort of reminds me of when the Brady Bunch movie came out and like they had a blend of the 70s into the 90s. Yeah. So it, it feels very much in the style that he was trying to replicate. Yeah, I think the 90s loved that. There was a that was the trend back then was to bring old time into the 90s. You know, we yes. saw it with the Brady Bunch movie, with the Adams family, with the Beverly Hillbillies or you know, like all these all these things from the past, you know, and then but bringing them into that 90s world and seeing how they how they survive and so um yeah that's definitely i think right on track with this movie too it's like you know we have the classic ufo saucer and i love how it's like yes. it is like the quintessential flying saucer picture yeah no bell no bells no whistles nope just just a, a steel piece of metal like just swirling about <laughs> yes exactly which i which, you know, when you think of what the 1950s thought of as, you know, aliens and UFOs, like, that's what you saw, flying saucers, things like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's definitely paying homage to that very cheesy B-movie feel, because, like, even the technology they use, like, at one point, uh, you know, Dr. Kessler and, like, the other scientists bring out this machine. I, I don't even think we're there yet, but to, like, interpret the language of of the aliens and it but it looks like this like old 60s machine but it's supposed to be like new technology it's like kind of technology (laughs) exactly like the jetsons or even rocky horror yes or like you know yeah i just think of like i don't know i dream of genie or something like you know like those (laughs) kind of 60s 50s kind of technology i love i dream of weenie (laughs) 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 you see that on drag race I, I did not know. Oh, okay. I'm so behind. That's okay. Um, okay, so I will say that this movie has entirely too many characters and storylines happening for how short this movie is. It is. It is pretty short. And do you know what's crazy? There are 23 leads, technically, in this film. <laughs> and, the, and the original script had... 60 leads in it. I can't imagine <laughs> that the original script had to have been a, a, atrocious. <laughs> How? 
Wow. I mean, I don't think that the goal was stellar character development. So whatever, no. right? But like, I just <laughs> think that this movie, that it could, could have definitely been a bigger mess. But I think what we get is already kind of messy. I mean, I think we were yeah. introduced to characters and we always get a resolution, whether it comes five minutes later or at the end yeah. of the movie. You get a resolution for everybody that you're introduced to, but I just don't know that it was completely necessary to include everybody. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Like, every five minutes, you're like, oh my god, another person's in the, What, they're in this? How long is that? And big names, too, are only in this for a couple minutes. Like, when you think about how how much time Michael J. Fox is in this movie, who is, you know, still in the night, a huge star. And honestly, his part is very small. He gets killed off pretty early in this. And so, I mean, I guess he probably has just as much screen time as Danny DeVito in this movie, who is in the movie (laughs) for a minute and a half and doesn't even (laughs) have a name. Yeah, I know. Wow. It's crazy. But I mean, I guess that adds to the fun, like the, the, who's who of it all like you're like watching and be like oh my god them 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 but at one point it's yeah. like, okay well then, now let's tell the, let's tell a story uh, exactly there really isn't one except you know there's no yeah. explanation as to why anything happens but yeah. um i the set was apparently really fun like jack nicholson it was basically like the meryl streep but and it, it's funny because we both play the president in these movies that we yes. compared them. <laughs> um <laughs> but he was apparently very particular but very fun on set and I think he does a great job in his role as the president yeah. and as the hotelier art. Um, his, I mean, he's just a phenomenal actor and you can really yeah. see his powerhouse abilities in these two roles. Yeah, you can tell he was just like ready to have fun. And, uh, you know, and I really like that. I love I love Jack, Jack Nicholson in general, but like you can tell he was there having a good time just playing these ridiculous characters. And he's... Uh, I will say that both of his characters are complimented by very funny women or just great women yes. who, who uh, you know, are his scene partners. So that would be Ms. Glenn Close as Marsha, the first lady of the United States, who, <laughs> again, not a lot of screen time, but I feel like this was the precursor to her performance in The Stepford Wives. Yes, yeah, she definitely makes the most of it. You know, she's she's redecorating some of the rooms in the White <laughs> yes. House, and you know, in the in the process of it, she's also dissing the choices that other president, other first ladies have made. Yeah, and, uh, so she does work well with what she's given, um, as everyone does. Yeah, and like this role was originally offered to uh, Diane Keaton and Meryl Streep, and so. Of course. If there's anybody that's going to replace either one of those, it better be motherfucking Glenn Close. And she's, I don't know, she's lovely in it. She's amazing. She's um, lovely. And then we go to Art the Hotelier, who's complimented by Annette Benning as Miss Barbara. Uh, she is the star of the, to me, she's my she's favorite. She's the star of this movie. She is <laughs> my favorite character. I literally <laughs> wrote t- that Annette Benning as Barbara is my favorite character. Just this, like, <laughs> just like her. <laughs> hippie sort of flowy spiritual kind spiritual. of trashy vegas <laughs> white yeah ex-alcoholic yes. who's looking at the brighter side of things yes yeah. exactly i love her character and she's very much of that like the religions of the ufo kind of thing like you know these <laughs> like because that's like a legitimate thing i was i was looking oh. it up like there were like these religions you know slash cults that worship Uh-oh. ufos like heaven's gate and um oh right yes you know or you can even equate it to scientology because they have a lot of 
extraterrestrial uh, doctrine, you know. Yes. And so those things very, exist. So I thought, real. so I, I thought that was like a fun thing to incorporate, you know, these like the hippy dippy <laughs> people <laughs> who want to worship the aliens as opposed to, you know, be scared of them. <laughs> they think that they're here to uh, save Better us. us. Save yeah, us, yeah. yeah, save us from ourselves. She has that great moment in the pool <laughs> where yes. she's just on her her pink floaty and yes. she's looking up and she's like, come to us. Or what does she say? Yeah, <laughs> she's, something like that. Yeah, she's yeah. like, come to us, save us or something like that. Yes, <laughs> it's so funny. She's, she's so, so funny. funny. My second favorite character is Natalie Lake, played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, yeah, she's also great. You know, just a ditzy newscaster. <laughs> Again, not much to the character, but I no. think what Sarah Jessica brings to it is as pretty eye-catching i guess <laughs> yeah i love that they like <laughs> that she's like this uh kind of like ditzy fashion reporter but she's like competing with her boyfriend who's played by michael j fox who's like an actual news anchor and i think yes. it's kind of a commentary that like obviously pop culture takes precedent over the real news as far as what people would rather pay attention to absolutely like nobody wants to watch the news because it's sad and depressing but you can infiltrate you know, real news into people's lives. If you like put this like wrapping paper on it of, you know, dis you know, her, her set looks like kind of like a disco sixties or Absolutely. like mod, you know, um, but you can like, hi- that's why like she gets the, uh, the doctor, she gets Pierce Brosnan's character on his, sh- on her show and not on the actual news, which her, her boyfriend gets upset about. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting commentary. Like, yeah, it's like, who would you rather see interviewing, um, you know, this person? Would you rather see the very serious, like, you know, stuffy, uh, like stuffy reporter or like, you know, a a Drew Barrymore, like the the hot talk show host, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I want to see that one for sure. And I love how, um, in, in the midst of it, she finds love with, (laughs) <laughs> so random her and Pierce Brosnan's Dr. Kessler it's very random it's very fast but yeah. you know when you're knocking on death's door you have to do everything with a quickness absolutely um, <laughs> then we meet um, uh, the family with Pam Greer at the helm of it oh yes she plays the mother and um, what's her character's name I'm like Louisa what is her name Louise Louise, Louise. So we have we have the family with um, Louise and Byron and um, they're divorced. One's living in Vegas. One's living in DC. Very convenient for the film. And yeah, Miss <laughs> Pam Greer again. Like these these characters don't really go anywhere other than their kids at some point help to save the day, uh, which we'll get to. But it but there's again there's not much to yeah. these characters. But I thought I found their story pretty compelling. I thought that they should have maybe been at the forefront yeah. of the movie. It, but their characters feel very similar to me to Will Smith and Vivica Fox's characters in Independence Day. You know, because they're like, you know, a family, they have a child, and they're separated, and, you know, they're sort of surviving on their own, trying to get back together. Exactly. You know, and so I can see why people probably would think that this was obviously a, a, a spoof of Independence Day when these characters have a very similar storyline. Storyline, you know. But I do like the story of Byron. I like this sort of redemption arc he gets, you know, he's like, kind of has like a, a bit of a past. He's like an ex-boxer, you know, who's down on his luck and he's trying to get his family back together and doing so he ends up saving a couple people and, um, you know, fighting his way back to his family. And so 
I, I like yeah. it. I like That's his That's a compelling and, story. Yeah, exactly. That seems like a class. Like, and there's a lot of classic disaster movie tropes in this, you know, from the 70s. You know, there, it's, not only is it referencing the 50s, it's also referencing those disaster movies of the 70s, which were all-star casts like the Poseidon Adventure or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like these like ensemble works where all these, where there's different tropes. There's like the yes. uppity woman and then there's like the idiot and then there's like the the macho man who's like our hero and then the like hero, the, lo- yeah. the lovers. Like, you know, there's all these different tropes that do show tropes. up in this and so I feel like he he fits within that like the the the, the hero per, the hero with a redemptive arc, you know exactly. Yeah, I totally see that. Then we have the opposite side of things because you know we see them as a hardworking family, and then we have these like gun toting <laughs> just backwoods fucking yes. <laughs> people, a rural <laughs> community. Um, which honestly, they're it's they're kind of fun. They're kind of funny, and it's like so interesting to see people like Jack Black in this movie. Um, yeah. Who knew uh, what his career would be? Little did he know he had I Still Know What You Did Last Summer right on the horizon. <laughs> right around the corner, yeah, which was, which a, was an, a star-making uh, role. <laughs> he was honestly robbed of the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oof. Um um, yes, <laughs> but then like, but again, more more big names with uh like thankless parts, like Christina Applegate. Like, girl, how does she end up in this movie? Girl, I didn't even know that was her. I was like, Neither oh, did I. you know, in the credits, I'm like, oh, Christina Applegate's in this movie, and then I'm like, is that her? I was Why like, she look like an old lady? Not Sharona. <laughs> not like Sharona no in Mars Attacks. <laughs> um, <laughs> But apparently these characters were a lot lighter, not just in this family, but I imagine mostly in this family. But they, the original draft of the script is very dark, where all of these characters were like prostitutes and crackheads and drug dealers oh and pimps. And, you know, it was, a, it was a harsh, harsh world that they were representing in this movie. And so they sort of lightened it up. And I think that this trailer trash sort of family probably <laughs> would have been on that spectrum somewhere. Um, but for me, the the highlight of the Norris family is, of course, Miss Sylvia Sidney as oh my gosh, Miss Florence, and apparently she was a hoot on set. Like she was are, chain smoking cigarettes. Are you kidding me? She has to. I'm sure she was a fucking hoot and a half. A hoot and a nanny. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she would chain smoke cigarettes. She would. She wouldn't go anywhere without her dog. Her dog's name was Malcolm X. Um, and he was by her side. <laughs> yeah. And she called, uh, like, if she got, if you were talking to her and she got bored of the conversation, she said, what are you, an idiot? <laughs> oh, my God. Apparently, she was notorious for calling her co-stars um, idiots. So Aww. she was a who and a half. And unfortunately, this is her last film that she ever did. Oh, that's so sad. She's great. I loved her. Which is actually also the case, and I could be wrong, but I think I read that this was also Michael J. Fox's last feature film like I mean if film. you think about it what what came after this nada <laughs> I think right about this time he got a sit, he got a sitcom gig he got Spin City which ran for right. years and years and years so he became a TV actor so so you know story wise here I mean the overall the overall story we have right now is that these the Martians are coming down to to Earth and we've decided yes. to um, have a meeting with them I like that you know, the president, you know, Jack Nicholson's character is like taking this moment as a 
as a way to sort of bring everybody together. Um, it's very, it feels very patriotic, you know, and, and also self-serving, you know, he wants to, for his, he's like, imagine for my, you know, campaign or whatever, like, or for my administration to be the one to, to usher in a new race where we can potentially learn from each other. And, you know, within that, um, you know, just these white house scenes, we get kind of the two opposing viewpoints on what's happening. We have like the warmongering uh, probably conservatives, yes. you know, who are, you know, the, who is uh, Rob Steiger's here or Rod Steiger's character, um, that general who like wants to go to war and immediately nuke them. And then we have the other side, yeah. um, which is, you know, the liberal intellectuals, which is like Dr. Kessler, who's like, I think we can learn a lot from each other. And <laughs> so there is a lot of this conflict going on. It's like, yeah, like where, how do we approach this? Can we learn from them? Are they willing to learn from us? Do we even know if they're hostile? And um, yeah, you know, or do we attack? Do we are do we protect our our turf with you know with all we more weapons? Yeah. Um, there's this really great line in this in this discussion that you're talking about where Professor Donald Kessler has this line where he says, "We know they are extremely advanced tech." We know they have extremely advanced technology, which suggests, very rightfully so, that they are peaceful. An advanced civilization, by definition, is not barbaric. And I'm like, that <laughs> literally is like so funny because it's so untrue. Yeah, <laughs> to think that way. But but they themselves, as the U.S., you know, as leaders of the free world, think that they're always in the right and that yeah. they you know are very peaceful and freedom and you know never comes yeah. at a price and so like this <laughs> line is just so funny because it's just you know a reflection of exactly what we think we are and we're actually not of course and you know what and you know i think that general casey the um the sort of one who's sort of the ambassador between you know the military and uh the aliens he when he's in the white house you know he kind of opposes um the general who's like wanting to go to war and he's like do we even do we even know that what they're in are warships like how do, how how can they we conceptualize anything about aliens and this is what i always talk about anytime we talk about aliens yeah. is yeah. that we don't we would never have any concept of what they think is what they're doing and there's no way they can have any concept of what we're doing what what if they don't even have any a concept of what war is what if they've never right you know or like i don't know so he's on the right track he's like we don't even know anything we don't know if what they want we don't even know if, if they come if they're hostile if they even know what war is we don't you know so yeah we don't necessarily the right... know that we're under attack yeah exactly because what who knows what they think? We don't even know how these beings think. And to me, that's and also that's, what's scary about aliens. Because it's like... That's the scary part. And I think that either way, you're threatened. You know? Yeah. Whether you're the American that thinks, you know, well, let's see what they want first. Or you're the American that's like, oh, no way. They're not taking yeah. my turf. You know? It's like either way, um, you're scared. Yeah, and it's like, well, it's like, what are we threatened the most by? Are we, th- are we threatened that they're going to kill us or that they're going to be more intelligent than us and think that we're too stupid to exist anymore? <laughs> like, yeah, which is definitely that, that one is definitely <laughs> going to happen. 
Yeah. All right, you've true. had your chance. Evaporate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then we get our, our introduction to the Martians at this point. They intercept the signal and they broadcast themselves to the world. And what do you think of this alien design? I love it. I, I just love that it is from the original trading card deck because yeah. you can see that influence there, like we were saying, of like the 1950s and 60s sci-fi B-movies of like this just cartoonish alien, like very threatening yes. looking presence, but also could come off as, you know, cute. Like, well, cute. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, a, like one of those minion things from those little <laughs> cartoons. I love that conversation that Glenn Close and Jack Nicholson have when they're eating, they're like watching oh. it. She's like, he is not, I'm not having him over for dinner. <laughs> that thing. Yeah. I'm not having yeah. that thing over for dinner. <laughs> he's like, we might have to. She's like, well, he, he's not getting the Van Buren China. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I I love it. I love the colors that they use, like in the brain and the skin. Yeah. Um, I know, and they have like no. It's weird. It's like they have no skin, and, but their brain is kind of attached to their skull. Yes. And they have no. They have no. They have no and it's like they don't have any skin, right? Like their teeth are out. They have like no nose. Their eyeballs have, they have no, no lips. Yeah. <laughs> and I love this language that they came up with, yeah. which I heard was just duck quacks in reverse. <laughs> really? Yeah. Ack, 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 ack. But apparently hilarious. they wrote it into the script as ack, 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 ack. And then the way they Got used lucky. it for the sound design was by flipping the um, duck call backwards. That's cute. Oh, look at that. Innovate. Innovative. I love it. <laughs> All right. Why don't we move on? In the wake of the Martians' transmission, the President, Kessler, and several generals hold a meeting in their war room to analyze what they know about the Martians. A scientist also brings a machine that he claims has translated the Martians' speech patterns, but the translations barely make any sense. Eventually, it is indicated that the Martians will first land near the Nevada town of Pahrump. A military escort, which includes Billy Glenn, is headed up by General Casey, played by Paul Winfield, a more quiet and docile general than the more outspoken General Decker. A number of spectators show up as well, including Barb, who is very excited that Martians have arrived, as she believes they are here to better humanity. Natalie and Jason are also there to provide news coverage as the world watches on. The president watches alongside his wife, Marsha, played by Glenn Close, and daughter, Taffy, played by Natalie Portman. <laughs> Not Taffy. <laughs> Taffy, I know. <laughs> when he first says it, I was, I'm always, it's always jarring when yeah, he first like, says oh her my name. God. Not Taffy. Taffy. Oh, my God. Taffy. Oh, my God. So Shake that laffy, Taffy. Child Taffy. That laffy, Taffy. <laughs> Shake that laffy, Taffy. If we were still doing Soundtrack Sunday, that's what I would have put on. Oh, my laffy, God. Taffy. That's hilarious. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Natalie Portman giving her most mediocre performance in this <laughs> <laughs> a large ufo lands before the crowd emerging from the ship are several armed martians and one in a sparkling red cloak after it is translated that he is the martian ambassador and general casey gives a greeting the martians look taken by surprise when the greeting is translated into their language but a new sentence from the martian claims they come and pee that's <laughs> I'm just kidding. Claims that they come in peace. (laughs) This causes a group of hippies to release a white dove, which is quickly shot down by the Martians. (laughs) 
The scene then dissolves into chaos as the Martians vaporize and kill almost everyone, including Billy Glenn and Jason. They end up taking Natalie Lake, Poppy, and her handbag onto their ship before leaving the massacre behind. Back in Washington, D.C., General Decker demands that immediate action be taken, but Professor Kessler feels that what they witnessed could have been a cultural misunderstanding, due in part to the Dove. A peaceful message is sent out to the Martians by the President. The message is received by the Martian ambassador and a Martian leader in a sparkling purple cloak. Um, reads it as well. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot where the sentence is going. (laughs) Professor Kessler performs an autopsy on one of the fallen Martian soldiers as the Martians swap the heads of Natalie and Poppy. She is now only her head with a chihuahua's body. A response from the Martians is soon received at the White House. The Martian ambassador claims to feel remorse and would like to appear before Congress. The request is granted, and one of the Martian ships lands in front of the United States Capitol. The Martian ambassador and two armed Martians appear in Congress and approach the podium. After reading what appears to be a speech, the Martian ambassador draws a gun that vaporizes a branch of the government. Professor Kessler pleads for the ambassador to stop, but is quickly subdued and eventually taken aboard the ship. All right. (laughs) So the section starts out with Dr. Kessler, like after they first see the Martian, he's like explaining the anatomy and everything. And one idea that I think is introduced that never gets brought up again is the fact that they might possibly be telepathic. I was like, I was like, where did that go? Yeah. They never even use use that as a tool. But maybe it's to show that what they think they've discovered, even the speech machine that translates their language, is completely inaccurate. So yeah. maybe it was just to further <laughs> yeah, explain he's like, that we don't know what we're talking about. Right. And it's like, how did he get just from watching them on TV that they they breathe nitrogen? I'm like, wow, we're just really reaching here. And obviously it leads to uh, some trouble because obviously there's more misunderstanding than they even realize. Yes, absolutely. And this, um, you read a cool little fact about the speech machine. Oh, yes. No, I thought that was so interesting because this movie opened the door for everybody's favorite horror film, Scream, for Roger L. Jackson, who this was his first big uh, voiceover work was playing the translated uh, text of the alien language. <laughs> wow, he was the original Alexa. Uh, oh my god. Unbelievable. Let me tell you this. I would not be crowding around to see no damn alien spaceship not. land. Absolutely not. Because they did exactly what I expected them to do. Vaporize us. <laughs> Literally. Like, I would never put myself in this situation. I'd be terrified. I'd be in a panic just knowing that aliens exist. I know I personally would be just beside myself anxious, but I would never go to see it. Absolutely not. And a lot of them, and these people are so stupid and they get what's coming to them. Absolutely. And I think that just like we said, this, you know, they bring out this translator thing to help facilitate a conversation between us and the Martians. And it's obviously not translating it correctly. And this is probably <laughs> why we never get an explanation as to why the aliens are attacking, because we yeah. don't have the technology to figure it out. <laughs> exactly. And I think that is part of like the commentary, because I guess originally they wanted to, or the studio wanted the 
aliens to have subtitles for when they spoke to each other. But they uh, decide. But you know, it was sort of an executive decision on Tim Burton's part that he didn't want them to have subtitles because they, he wanted us to feel disoriented. He wanted us to feel like we just through their body language that we could gather what they're doing, and that would be uh, a much more interactive experience, I guess, than like just yeah. reading what they say. But like, it gave them more opportunity for physical humor, or you know, just. It, but also keeping us without knowing exactly what these Martians want or are saying. Yeah, I actually think that it helps feed into establishing the movie's commentary of people distrusting world leaders because yeah. we look to the world leaders like they have it all planned out. Like even even like we've seen in real life, just like all of the the things that people say about COVID, you know, that go against what our world leaders say. And because no one really knows what to, to do in this. And yeah. so they're like, have these, this technology that they're trying to translate what the aliens are saying, but right. none of it is working, but we trust that they are giving us the right information. And they're clearly not because maybe the aliens are saying why they're here. And they're probably saying you're disgusting. You're destroying this planet. <laughs> and so we're getting rid of, we're getting rid of you. And, but, but, <laughs> But then the translator turns on. They're like, "We come, we in, come peace. in peace." <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything yeah. is fine as the world is burning around us. Yeah, and then they release this white dove, and then which <laughs> is somehow offensive to them. Which is kind of, I'm like, I don't know how, since there's like other doves on Mars. I don't think that's it though, because I think that because even when they come out of the spaceship, and General Casey like says welcome to earth you know we accept you know we we, we're glad you're here we appreciate you coming stopping by and the the translator translates it back to them in their language and they look uh, taken uh, they're like excuse me that they look offended (laughs) that that look is so funny i literally laugh and he's like (laughs) it's really great animation how they made him look so offended for a second it's great because you, you can only do so much with so little face, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, they did a great job because they look offended. And I'm like, I think that translator fucked everything up for us. Probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They probably said, fuck you and your Martian mama too. <laughs> and your motherfucking Martian mama too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. One thing I like about them vaporizing everybody is that their ray guns spit out a certain color. Yeah. And the skeletons are that color. Oh my gosh. I, I, I literally wrote down, I was like, what would you rather be? A green skeleton or a red skeleton? I think later, don't we see blue ones? Do we? Do we? I thought we do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was just, I, I, maybe, I guess. I think I thought so. I thought Cong- when they do the Congress thing, one side is green and one side is blue. But apparently they knew this movie was coming out in December, so they wanted to use Christmas colors. <laughs> is that That's serious? why they're red and green. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, Merry Christmas. Why didn't we do this for Christmas? <laughs> I, wh- why not? It's a Christmas movie. And that's also why Ray J and his brother uh, characters and later on in the movie are wearing, a, one's wearing a green jacket and the other one's wearing a red shirt. Great. Go off, sis. Yeah. Go off. Sure. Why not? If it makes you happy. <laughs> I love that in this. They start. Wait, what the- would you rather be? A green or a red one? Oh, my bad. Uh, red. Really? That looks cooler. I would rather be green. Why? I don't know. 
Don't you think a red skeleton looks scary? It does look scary, but I don't know. There's something about like a green, spacey skeleton that's like really cool. You like glow under under black light better. I guess. <laughs> which which <laughs> is what I want my bones to be <laughs> hung by, a black light. So for the future, when I die, that's what I want. <laughs> I want my my bones uh, <laughs> to be lacquered yes. in a UV paint yes. and then just put under a glow light. Yes, and put on display. <laughs> this is Jake Sines. <laughs> he used to be a host of the show, Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> and now he's a bag of bones that glows. And now he's a bag of purple glowing bones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, so while <laughs> Professor Kessler is doing this autopsy on the Martian, we then cut to, which I love this juxtaposition of him doing this like scientific autopsy and the aliens basically playing fucking um, paper dolls with oh i know <laughs> with natalie and poppy and poppy actually i don't know who this stunning young chihuahua actor is <laughs> but uh she was lisa marie's dog oh okay cute cute what a which star which makes sense right cute what yeah, a star. Absolutely. But the poppy swap is hilarious it's so, it's so good funny. i love how they have the technology to have your your severed head still be alive with no body and they're just like carrying around Sarah Jessica Parker's head in a jar like a fucking jar of water or something yeah um, she's like screaming in yeah, the water exactly and the, the dog the dog's head on her the body the dog is the best part the dog yes. the dog Poppy's head on Sarah Jessica's body it looks so much funnier than Jessica's head on the yes. Miss Parker this Parker's head on the Chihuahua. It's, because it's just, she's wearing like, it's like her, she's like in her bra, right? She's like in like a space bra. It's like, well, her outfit, her outfit when she goes to see the aliens, she already looks like a baked potato. She's like in this like completely, <laughs> she looks like the flying saucer. And then when they kidnap her, she must have also had metallic silver underwear on because she's like in a metallic bra. Why not? She was in theme. She was in she, theme. Yeah, fashion. She's a fashion show <laughs> reporter. So then you just see the chihuahua on her head. The chihuahua's head is so small compared <laughs> to Sarah Jessica's shoulders. It just looks hilarious. It's so funny. Oh my god, I know. Um, that definitely is one of my favorite storylines. I love her storyline. <laughs> and I love how it's unraveling. <laughs> yeah, totally. We get a little bit of a clue as to what's going to happen later in the movie when we get uh, Miss uh, Grandma taken to her old folks' home where we uh, get the introduction of this song by uh, Mr. Slim Whitman. And um, yes. basically it's this song called... Uh, Indian Love Call. Indi- Indian Love Call, that's what it is. And it's like this yodeling song that Miss Grandma loves. She loves it. Miss <laughs> Grandma loves this. And you know, she's sort of um, senile. and She's <laughs> really <laughs> old. And uh, I love the interaction they have earlier when Richie is taking her to the home and he says I bet you're psyched about the Martians coming Grandma. I mean, you've probably seen crazy stuff already. Uh, everyone must have been really scared when they invented the train. <laughs> <laughs> her face <laughs> drops. Come on, kid. I'm not that old. Yes. <laughs> Oh, kid, I'm not that old. Yeah, she's hilarious. <laughs> she invented the train. Oh my god, so good. <laughs> she's so funny, and, and I, I love, love she when calls they have Thomas. She calls. It's just like he's like it's Billy Glenn. She goes, I know Thomas, <laughs> which is Jack Black's real name. 
Thomas? Thomas. Whoa. I know. She was actually just calling him that. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> so the Martians go to Congress and... Again, I think there's just a lot of miscommunication leading up to this. Yeah, but also, why would all these people come out again? If I saw... Exactly. ...what had happened to those people in the Parump Desert, I would literally not be anywhere near this. But people are still stupid enough to show up. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are lined up outside of the Capitol, just like when they stormed the Capitol. There's more people than that. They are just outside waiting to see what the aliens have to say. I'm like... Um, do we learn nothing from the first altercation? Yeah. They are not here to exactly. make peace. They're and here to have, obliterate us. And we have no idea what is going to be offensive to them. What if somebody sneezed and they're offended? What if somebody, I don't know, does anything? Obviously, we thought, you know, what we think is peaceful, you know, releasing white doves or whatever would, you know, <laughs> wouldn't offend them. But obviously, that wasn't the case. Why I would so be funny to me. I would be so terrified. <laughs> I would be terrified, and I, it's and it's that thing where it's like obviously there's something wrong. Like we're yeah. not communicating. That translator's not working. Our customs are not theirs. Like they are offended. Leave them alone. I mean, try to figure out what they're doing from a distance. I don't I know. be up close like that. I know. Don't be all up in their business. And so, the, of course, Congress is stupid enough to invite you know another one of them and the ambassador back. And, you know, <laughs> shown up, decked out in these red sequins. These Gorgeous. Cloaks, these cloaks Gorgeous. are stunning. The Who cloaks. designs them? Honestly, I need to know because I'm going to be this for Halloween. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be ugly for Halloween. Yeah, oh, my gosh. But you but you could also tell, you know what? Um, they added something that I thought was really clever. was that the, the animals start reacting. And you, all, you know what they say? They're like, you know, animals have like a sixth sense or whatever when it comes oh, to yes. sensing danger. And like the dogs are barking. Everybody's going crazy. And um, it's kind of subtle, but I did notice it. And I was like, okay, that's a good way to, to clue us in that, that danger here is for a good on. Reason. Yeah, the danger is on the horizon. Yes. I do love this um, vision, though, that we get of them standing at the podium in front of all of the, you know, uh, Congress and that branch of the government and just uh, completely obliterating them. I know. (laughs) I know. And it's like, well, that's what we get. And then I love that Miss Florence is just like the the cherry on top of this scene where she's like, they blew up Congress. (laughs) (laughs) She's like so entertained by this. (laughs) What do you think is like, what is like the protocol for like dealing with Martians that kill a bunch of Earthlings? Like... Honestly, we can't even come together with, like, a solid COVID protocol. So I don't know, I know. what we would do if Martians landed. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Oh, my God. All right. Well, let's see what happens next. In the, the aftermath, aftermath of the, the attack, attack, General, General Decker, Decker once again, again demands that affirmative action, action be taken. But the president, president still chooses to go about the situation with no action taken against the Martians, further infuriating the general. Aboard the ambassador's ship, the Martians have now removed the professor's body with his vital organs still functioning, causing him to remain alive with only his head intact. The professor's disembodied head and Chihuahua Natalie converse, and even in their strange bodily state, they both profess their love for each other. Meanwhile, back on Earth, a Martian has taken on the form of a beautiful woman, played by Lisa Marie, and seduces her way into the White House through Jerry, who frequently picks up women for sex. 
Jerry gives her a White House tour, but as he begins to seduce her, she bites off his finger and kills him. She then finds the president and the first lady sleeping in their room and attempts to kill them. The Secret Service managed to kill the Martian. The attack causes the Martian leader to finally declare all-out war on the Earthlings. UFOs soon show up across the globe, wreaking havoc everywhere. The White House comes under attack by an army of aliens who begin vaporizing various staff and kill the First Lady by shooting a chandelier that falls and crushes her. Cedric and Neville are on their field trip tour of the White House and soon get their hands on two of the aliens' ray guns. They begin to vaporize some of the Martians before making it back home to Louise, who calls Byron in Vegas. Their call is interrupted as telecommunications go down. Ooh, okay. I think this might be my favorite section. Oh. Mine too. Of this movie. Of course, oh, right? I mean... Of course. <laughs> okay, so like, I can't believe that they're still not doing anything. And this is exactly, goes back to the question that you yes. asked. What do we do? What are the protocols? There are none. Yeah, because <laughs> no one knows what to do. Yeah. Absolutely not. But luckily, what we get is the lovers, like you said. One of those tropes from the yes. old B-movie sci-fi alien movies. Yes. where we have Miss Natalie Lake head attached <laughs> to a chihuahua in love with the disembodied head of Professor Kessler. Is there something about this that is kind of like a cryptic sort of commentary on us being sort of just like like space cadets, like totally just like, oh, whatever, yeah. like we're just here, we're dumb, we're human. I mean, probably. I mean... The fact that we're Something pretty with much the heads, right? We're we're pretty much just like Barbie dolls to these aliens. Like we're we're here to be picked apart, and we're you know, at the end of the day, like I don't know, is it just like our bodies mean less than our heads, and they can be transferred? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the message is here, or if it's just what kind is of... the message? I kind of took it as like sort of being like we are just followers like you know because like basically just always being like not present like just being what am i trying to say i don't know girl this is exactly what i'm talking about you're in outer space (laughs) i'm in outer space like not rooted in reality sure just like always in our heads like sure (laughs) our our heads are in the clouds our uh Yes, that very that. Like our heads are in the clouds. We're just floating through, like just listening to whoever tells us, gives us instructions. Oh, okay, I see. We're just I like see. whatever. Da, 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 da. I see. I see. Maybe yeah. not because I don't even know how to explain what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but if you're out there and you know what I'm trying to say, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, the truth is out there. So, um, uh, so yeah. But I, I love this scene. I like this trope of like the lovers and that even in these strange science sci-fi circumstances where they're both disembodied, you know, or their heads are disembodied from their bodies. Is that how you say that? They're both disembodied Disembodied from their bodies. Uh, uh. (laughs) Disembodied from their bodies. Uh, uh. (laughs) Uh, They still are able to find love and um, it's very sweet for some reason. Yeah, exactly. And it's so fast. And you know what? It's dumb love. And yeah. why not? They're dumb. They're both dumb. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they're only their heads now. So it makes it makes sense. And I love that it is a trope. I didn't really realize that. But yeah, it, you're right. It, it totally yeah. is one of the tropes from back in exactly the day. Exactly. So. Like sci- sci-fi romance at its finest. 
Speaking of Kim Zolciak, with her wig is in this movie. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Three there must be three of them. This is okay, this is definitely my second favorite character of this movie because oh, yes. the female Martian is the highlight of this movie. Iconic, iconic, iconic. Drag, this is who I'm gonna be for Halloween. Absolutely. Drag head to motherfucking toe. So we have Lisa Marie as the female Martian <laughs> who no one seems to realize that there's something a little off about this woman. <laughs> Maybe the fact that she literally floats when she walks. Her, her it's hand, amazing. Her hands just like, she has like weird flow with her hands. And she was on some sort of like ramp type of thing. Like Yeah, I was like, how like did how they make this effect? effect? I don't know. It looks like she's on like a Roomba. And it almost looks like, like she's like rollerblading. Yeah, it almost looks like she's on a, yeah. on a, what are they called? Um, hoverboard. Hoverboard, yeah. Yes, it looks fantastic. It's yeah. eerie. And like, even just the way, like, this big, huge fucking wig, like, hiding that big brain under there. <laughs> I guess the wig weighed so much that Lisa Marie said her neck felt like it was going to break. And she also says that yes. she still has a scar on the top of her head because I don't know what or how. Yeah, but it left a hole in her head. This wig left a gash on the top of her head. Oh my god! And she had to be sewn into that dress, so she had a she couldn't sit in it and she couldn't pee all day. She had to just stand. Oh my god! Stand up, and she had to fucking hold her pee in this dress because she was completely sewn into it with a gigantic, painful ass wig on her head. But she, apparently, it was all she, worth it. She still said she had fun. So yeah. She said she'll do whatever it takes. And I I believe her because everything that I've ever seen her in, she's totally like... She's en- game. Enveloped in her character. Yeah. yeah, she's game. And so this is no different. And honestly, sewing her into that dress is a really smart decision because it really did achieve the look of it being yeah. seamless. Like it almost looks like it's part of her skin. Like yeah, totally. Of, up to the neck. Yeah, it looks yeah, great. With those big old pointy boobs. And Jerry, who frequents hookers, definitely picks her up. I mean, she looks like one. She has the blue eyeshadow, the red lipstick, everything you think about when you think hooker. And it's funny because he takes her into the Kennedy room, which essentially in this movie is designed as like a lovemaking room. And the inspiration behind the female Martian's look was Marilyn Monroe and the Bride of Frankenstein. So I think it's funny to sort of like play into that whole thing, especially with it being so particular to a certain time that this movie is emulating yeah exactly that 50s 60s time when Marilyn was in her heyday and um and yeah. sleeping with the president exactly <laughs> and I love how she's just he's so sleazy this Jerry you know and that you know, he doesn't even he, he doesn't even realize that she is completely like stoic and just chomping on this gum and this nitrogen gum this nitrogen <laughs> gum and um uh, I love it when it goes haywire when he tries to stick his finger in her mouth and she uh, eats it. Well, she doesn't eat it. She bites it off and then spits it in the fish tank. <laughs> and the fish start eating it. Yeah, the fish start <laughs> eating it. And, um, you know, she's she's kind of a spy because she has this big ass eyeball mm. ring on her finger, which looks like a, you know, like a GoPro with that little fish eye lens that they're looking at. And, yes. Um, you know, so it, it's just like really fun. This whole sequence is crazy. I love the moment. My favorite moment is when she's walking behind him, and um, all of a sudden she like gets into this that creepy walk real quick. Yes. And then stands back up and goes back into the flowy walk. 
That part's kind of scary. I was like, oh. It's scary. It, it's done. But funny. The female Martian is done so well. It is so fun. And now we have a very tragic death in this movie. Yes. The dog. The first dog of the United States. Ugh, <laughs> just obliterated. Which I think is probably a callback to those trading cards. Because on those trading cards, yeah. there were pictures of them blowing dogs up and things. <laughs> that's fucking horrible and so th- I can see that being so can you imagine like being in that frame of mind like in the 50s 60s and these trading cards come out and you look at your kids like what are you playing with honey and it's a dog and a human being ripped apart by aliens yeah. oh my god <laughs> what are you doing and then we get this like you know a- alien head the Martian head on the female body and it's just like so wacky Oh, well, first, um, the the Martian takes off their mask. Apparently, the whole thing's a mask, mask. which is hilarious. (laughs) All-out war is declared. The Martians want to attack the Earthlings, kill them all. A UFO starts showing up everywhere, and the White House comes under attack again. And we have this hilarious death with Miss First Lady Marsha oh my getting God. crushed by the chandelier. It literally looked like Tori Spelling in Scary Movie too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it literally looked like they had a balloon of her and then when it fell, <laughs> it like how it like how her body collapses underneath the sh- the chandelier is like she like folds in like three places. It's the dummy from That's So Raven. Yes, it Once is. again, <laughs> making an appearance in one of our That dummy movies. was booked. And yes. Have you seen the new trailer for the new round of Raven's Home? No, I haven't. They're utilizing this dummy again. It's thank falling God. downstairs and things. I'm like, thank <laughs> God this is here. <laughs> I wonder if that's if she's the one putting it in there. She's like, we got to put the dummy in. It's t- it's too good. <laughs> yeah, the View of the Talking Queers has referenced it. Like it's famous <laughs> now. It's important. We have now. to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it's important. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we get the death of Glenn Close's character, but it's it's so funny. Uh, she like it's looks hilarious. up and she's like the Nancy Reagan chandelier and then it just <laughs> boom crushes her and that's what she gets because she was talking mad shit about Nancy yeah, a little she bit was. earlier in the movie exactly <laughs> it was it was cosmic karma <laughs> you brought up this idea that we reference um quite frequently in previous episodes that it's always cool watching movies like this as a kid and seeing kids get in on the action yes Yes, because we have Cedric and Neville pick up the aliens' guns and they start playing hero. You know, they love their arcade games. They start treating this like an arcade game. They start just blasting off on Martians. And that's that's always fun when the kids get to be a part of the the action. action. I do say, why the hell, in what world, when there is an alien attack the night before, would there still be a children's tour going on at the White House? It's... I mean, isn't that like target A at this yes. point? Like, come yeah, on. exactly. It's hilarious. I love, when, <laughs> I love when the tour guide gets vaporized in front of all of them. And then we have like the kids outside. There's like a, a Boy Scout troop that's being uh, attacked by the, this flying saucer that's like shot the uh, the Jefferson Memorial. That's what it is, right? Or is it the Washington Memorial? Um, oh, no. I so think that's this the, is the, wa- think- the Washington Monument. I was just about to say, I think that's the Washington. No, I'm just kidding. I was actually about to say, I think that's the Jefferson. <laughs> I think that's the, it's the Washington Monument. Okay, yes. Hi. <laughs> See, we are stupid. We don't even know what this shit is. 
I love this country. <laughs> I've been there and I didn't even remember what it was. I always get confused. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my gosh, but like things like that are you know are very funny. Like the monument going back and forth trying to crush these. That's funny. These Boy yeah. Scouts Trin- and everything. Kids. Yeah. I wish I knew the trading cards a little better to I see know. if some of these images are from the cards. Where like you know they're so specific like a boy scout troop you know getting yeah. crushed like i wonder if that's ever been like in one of these cards it would be interesting to find that out shall we finish off this movie <laughs> i guess so I, it's so crazy because there's so much that happens in this movie but yes. so little yes <laughs> at the same time in, in vegas, vegas art pitches a new idea, idea to possible investors, investors as ufos destroy, destroy the city killing art, art and many others Barbara finds Byron and asks if he knows how to fly a plane as she's prepared one to take her to Tahoe to hide out. Byron decides to take the opportunity to use the plane to save his family. Singer Tom Jones has his residency destroyed and soon joins Barb and Byron along with Byron's co-worker waitress, Cindy, and... Uh, <laughs> I forgot her. Uh, she's, all, she's my other favorite character. Oh, Miss Cleo, Miss yeah, Cleopatra, Miss Cindy, nameless <laughs> character. Yeah, both stunning, looking yes. stunning and gorgeous. <laughs> and a casino patron and lawyer, Danny DeVito. Fantastic. The military is finally called out to try and stop the Martians, but even they do not seem to have the firepower to stop them. The trailer park where the Norrises live is destroyed, killing Richie's parents and Sharona. <laughs> Fuck. Not not Sharona. Not Sharona. Oh my god. My Sharona. But I will say this sex scene is kind of steamy. I know. Who is that guy? Was he? I don't know, but he is giving it to her. Yeah. And she's having a good old time. He's like, my Sharona. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, Sharona. Yeah. <laughs> Richie makes his way to the senior home where his grandmother is. When the aliens enter her room, Richie runs to rescue her and soon discovers his grandmother's favorite record, Slim Whitman's Indian Love Call, is the key to defeating the invasion. The high-pitched yodeling causes the Martians' heads to explode. Richie employs the help of the remaining military to play the amplified music live and via satellite. Back in Washington, the Martian leader and two of his soldiers enter the war room. They are first attacked by General Decker, who starts firing on the Martians before the Martian leader uses a shrinking gun that reduces the general to a few inches tall before stepping on him. The Martians then shoot the remaining people before the president gives a speech, hoping to settle the violence and work things out together. This seems to work, and the Martian leader extends his hand, which turns out to be a mechanical weapon that impales the president with a flag post displaying the flag of their planet. (laughs) Back in Vegas, Danny DeVito is killed, while Barb, Byron, Tom Jones, and Cindy manage to survive and get to the plane. In order to take off, Byron distracts a large group of Martians who eventually overpower him as the plane flies off. As Indian Love Call broadcasts all over, the Martians explode. Their ships crash. One of the ships that is destroyed is the one carrying Natalie and Professor Kessler. Their heads roll to the floor where they share a final kiss before their ship crashes. (laughs) The planet is destroyed but now safe. Taffy presents the Congressional Medal of Honor to Richie and his grandmother while the people of Earth rebuild. Our movie ends with Byron alive, returning home to Luis and his sons. The end. <laughs> wow. Ugh. 
All right, so this is when we're in full-on wackadoodle craziness, right? And the wackadoodle craziness even translates to the characters because now we have the introduction of Tom Jones, famous Welsh singer with, you know, big, beautiful baritone voice, is now one of our characters in this film we're following. So um, it's probably like, you know, a commentary about how even celebrities aren't... uh, they're not, they're not safe. They're not exempt from a Martian attack. Absolutely not. You they know, don't care who you are. Exactly. And at the time, Tom Jones was very popular as a Vegas headliner and was making $25,000 a night oh doing, his, doing his Vegas show. Absolutely. Give us a sample. It's not unusual to be blown by anyone. Oh, my God. That was great. That was. I thought he was here. He is here, everybody. Welcome to the show, Tom Jones. Woo! Hey, Tommy. (laughs) Carlton. Oh my god, I love, I love when the Martians are background dance, or like when the lights go out and they come back up. The Martians are uh, dancing like back backup singers. That part is funny to me. (laughs) So stupid. Okay, wait a minute. I just have to tell you about this funny story that I read about this movie where Danny De- about Danny DeVito's death. I guess when he gets shot by the ray gun, he said he was acting all jittery and jumpy, you know, and he yeah. got all um, stiff and sucked in his stomach and his pants fell to the floor. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, <woo. laughs> it's so funny that Vegas is so prominent in this movie because I think these <laughs> I days know, I know. when we see cities being destroyed, it's usually like L.A. New or York. San Francisco or New York. Yeah. But it's funny that it's like Vegas and it's like the old Vegas. It's not like the new one. It's like old Vegas. I feel like it's like, well, first of all, like obviously Vegas is in very close proximity to like Area 51 in the desert. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of alien and like alien-esque things that surround the desert of Las Vegas, supposedly. But I also think it's just like, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like we usually see these like big cities like LA, New York, you know, those are the ones destroyed, but within the context of this movie, it makes sense that like the kitschiness of Vegas it, it it's, falls more in line with like the style of this movie. Over the top, yes. exaggerated, kind of trashy. Bright, like, neon. Si- yeah. Like, been ridiculous. Um, yeah. It, but fun, just like this movie. Absolutely fun. And you know, the Galaxy Hotel that they feature in this movie. Oh, the, yeah, um, the Stardust. Yes. Uh, Andre, we were watching this and Andre goes, wow, that looked real. But apparently it was real. Yeah, that This it building was, real. was demolished in 1995 and they just used the footage for this movie. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Amazing. Way to repurpose that um, for our entertainment. <laughs> I love this imagery also with the flag post. I think that the president gets this really iconic death in he which does. they, this, the hand disengages from the Martian and it turns into this like mechanical device that impales him with a pole and their yeah. flag presents itself and it's like the flag of their, their nation coming yeah. out of the president's chest like yeah. it, it's so the imagery is kind of like it's funny but at the same time it's like ooh, ooh. that's kind of scary but I, I also I also do feel like it's like quintessential Tim Burton uh, you know imagery you know this like kind of wormy thing that comes out you know the hand comes out it's very very Beetlejuice very yes. you know with like that kind of snaky wormy kind of thing that stabs through him 
Um, he must have some sort of like thing with that. Yeah, he right? loves like, snake yeah. worms and gross things like that. But I like I like that kind of speech that the president gives, and I feel like it harkens yeah. back to a time when the title of the president was like something people admired or like thought it was, you know, was so wonderful, and only the best person with the best intentions held that office. Which now here we are in 2022 we know that that's (laughs) that whole thing has been shattered like the illusion of the presidency has been shattered um yeah but this you know this was still in a time when we looked at the president as you know the leader of the free world and the leader of the free world a pure-hearted you know person who just wants to do something good it's great it's great i love his death yeah and this and that alien is giving a fucking performance like listening to this speech (laughs) even cries who knew these aliens could cry with no tear ducts, but... Oh my god, hold on. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to the controversy. Alright, so, Indian Love Call, right, inspired a little bit of controversy because uh, Miss Howard Stern of, you know, <laughs> of the famous talk show, talk show radio host, uh, claims that this concept of the Slim Whitman song Killing the Aliens was stolen from him from a sketch that he had written when he was younger called Slim Whitman versus the Midget Aliens from Mars. I mean, yeah. So apparently in the 80s, he had a show on WNBC and he had this acted out where the Slim Whitman, in the skit, the aliens are defeated by using Slim Whitman music this to me uh, apparently it all got reduced down to a coincidence coincidence. but it sounds like a total (laughs) ripoff yeah like why i mean couldn't they have just like acknowledged it or like said hey howard you mind if we kind of borrow this concept we really enjoy i don't know like and I guess when he was on his radio show, he was like, hey, I watched Mars Attacks and they totally stole my idea. And like, I guess like the co-host of the radio show was like, well, maybe it was just a coincidence. You know, Tim Burton's like a visionary. And Tim Burton even said himself, it was a coincidence. Howard Stern wasn't, he wasn't too upset about it, but yeah. he was kind of like, how would you just steal my idea? And they're like, maybe it was a tribute to you. But reducing it down to just a coincidence, it's so weird because it is so specific. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what? wow, what a coincidence that is. But what do you think of it? What do you think of it as, like, the way to defeat the aliens? Um, It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> so stupid. It's so silly and so stupid. And honestly, A Quiet Place um, stole this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. From this movie. They also stole this from <laughs> Howard Stern. <laughs> Just this high-pitched sound defeating aliens. Yeah. I I mean, it's fine. I think it is... It's very stupid. I think it's yeah. stupid how specific it is. Maybe something a little more broad. But you know what? This movie's so dumb. It's like, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, it doesn't. <laughs> at this point, like... <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter at this point. It's just the whole movie is just a ridiculous little romp, and so yeah, you just kind of go with it, and it's like this yodel. I don't even can't even do it. And to find out that it's from like the same idea was used in a Howard Stern skit, it's like okay, yeah, totally. It's dumb as fuck, right? Totally. (laughs) 
when I love when they find this out. They're in the grandma's room, and when she they first come in, oh, yeah. their heads just explode from the music. And she goes, Richie, I think these guys are sick. <laughs> yeah, and, and she goes, I think it's my music. <laughs> um, and then we get a little bit of uh, that redemptive arc we were talking about earlier, where you know Byron gets to fight, you know, fist fight some aliens. He gets to get back into his boxing mode. You know, he was a little. Little defeated, his spirit was crushed being a waiter at this, you know, casino in this ridiculous outfit. He's like asking for a raise in the beginning, and um, he gets to get back. He to must his work roots. at the Luxor, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah, totally. And then, um, yeah, gets to get back to his roots and kick some alien ass hand to hand combat. Even though there's a million of them, they overpower him. Somehow he survives. They just leave him for, just leave him to be alive. You know what I think is rather confusing is that Barb's plan to go on this plane is to hide out in the caves of Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And she manages to get there and hide out. But all of this is like resolved within that same couple of hours. So I'm like, she really made it all the way. I, I figured by the time she landed, it would all be over. I know. It kind of was. Then they show her coming out of the, this cave. <laughs> it is so good. What? And all the, all the, <laughs> All the animals start coming out, and Cindy's holding a, <laughs> like a ferret in her arms, and and Tom Jones is like has a bird fly in his arm. It's just like so, <laughs> it's so stupid, so dumb, but it's just brilliant. And they, like, uh, it's like a brand new day has has come. Yes, and then we have a little bit of a romance that hopefully actually works out past the alien attacks, which is between Taffy and Richie, where you know, <laughs> yeah. they have this little exchange that she's giving him how, this medal like, of honor. Is she the president now? Like, every single person in Congress <laughs> has died. So we're now the, the first daughter has now become the president of the United States. Yeah, little do you know... Miss Taffy Dale was the first <laughs> female president of the United States. Yes, exactly. States. Exactly. Give her props or props are due. But it is nice to see Byron coming back home to their destroyed apartments. I mean, oh, I, know. Cl- I love how they're cleaning up, but their apartment's completely split in half. I know. I, well, I mean, and that apartment looked look spotless. It looked spotless. And then as soon as you pan That's out, you okay. see that half, half the apartment is absolutely it's just gone it's silly of course but he comes back in his pharaoh garments and you know it's yeah. all it's all good and i and i like i said i wish that was a more compelling yeah result to this movie because yeah. it's like i don't really care they could have blew up the whole planet <laughs> i just wish that byron and louise and the kids had been more in the forefront of the movie so that we really could have they could have been the heart of this movie exactly and they're not they're sort of just like and that's what i think is lacking a little bit is a little bit of heart in this movie i think the biggest heart that we have is uh miss sylvia as the grandma she's precious but like the rest of it feels (laughs) a little cold you know it does and like i said i really wish those characters specifically byron louise cedric and neville had just been expanded because I feel like they have the most compelling storyline yeah. that we could have followed throughout. Everybody else could have been in the movie and just been minor like they are. Yeah. Um, but I just wish we would have gotten more from them so that we could be so that when we see him arrive at yeah. the end we're like yes! Yes! Oh wait, I have to call it one of my favorite things is that uh, I guess every 
all the military band is dead because they have to use a, a mariachi band to uh, to award these people the medals of honor at the, at the final scene. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> and then it sort of the movie leaves us on this, you know, well, it's time to rebuild. Great. Good luck because what we've seen in the real world is that we're not good at that. We will resume no. life as if nothing happened instead of building and doing better. I don't know if Miss Taffy, you know, President Taffy has what it takes to run the economy <laughs> properly, but I don't know. Maybe she will. I Maybe, yeah. I think she has a good heart, and I think that she would just give out money so that they could rebuild all the, the trailer park and yeah. the apartments that were destroyed. She's all p- pizza for everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free pizza for all. <laughs> stupid so dumb all right well that gets us to the end of this that does it. this movie uh, you know even writing the through the synopsis i was like why is this so short and <laughs> what i'm like it feels like there's so much happening and there is and there's a lot that we didn't get to oh but yeah mostly because it isn't necessary to touch on everything that happens in this yeah because it doesn't really go anywhere yeah like we missed like a little bit of like the the rural family like you know them defending their trailer and like you know those start the scenes are funny but i mean even though i do like that scene she's like well i know for sure they're not getting my tv or what she said something like that. <laughs> <laughs> our priorities yes exactly like some of the like, there are very funny moments in this movie i do find this movie to be silly and fun and kind of like a just like easy stupid watch exactly nothing super compelling the style is great you know very, you know tim burton did very well um of i think he was probably a great choice to direct this film because the art direction is great and honestly that's pretty much it i mean this, this there's not much to it well what would you rate it are those your final thoughts um i would rate this movie a, a three out of five okay yeah i i think this movie is just campy ridiculousness yeah. you know the aliens are great. The hyper-realistic world that these humans are a part of is great. I, I do like this movie. Yeah. It is, it's really funny. It's smart. But it is a little messy in its storytelling. There's just a lot going on. There are too many characters. Yeah. And so at the end, like, I come out entertained. But I don't feel a sense of, like, completion. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like, oh, wow, what a great movie. You know, it's just, it's fun. But it's not great. I, too, would give this... A three out of five because like you said it has so many qualities that, that outweigh what kind of held it back yeah for sure and it ends with a nice little musical moment where tom jones is uh it's not unusual gets to be played and we dance off yeah. into into the future i feel like it's a perfect little send-off to this crazy movie yeah that's it for mars attacks but don't worry because we're still attacking March. <laughs> March attacks. Oh my god, that's fucking funny. We're going from alien invasions to killer clowns because next week we are doing it chapter one. Ooh, yeah, that'll be a really good one. We're getting to the we're getting to the real scary ones now. Aliens, aliens everywhere. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to uh, find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Beer the Talking Queers, uh, where you can feel free to message us, say, hey, what's up? Tell us uh, 
what your favorite part of the episode was, what your favorite episode is. Um, we're here to chat, talk. I know. Yeah, we're very approachable on Instagram. You message us anything and we'll always respond. We'll be like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have to figure oh out what God. we're saying. You have to interpret yes. it for yourself. And don't forget to uh, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, just like our intro says. We would really appreciate that. And leave a review. We will always want to know how we're doing. Yes, right? please. Yeah, we want to hear. Tell us how great we are. Yeah, tell us how hot we sound. <laughs> <laughs> they have a face for a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also would like to say to visit us on flow.page slash Fear the Talking Queers, where you can find all of the links to all the places you can listen to us, as well as... Um, <laughs> I was like going with this as well. Oh, oh, you can also find out how to support the show with that link. Um, if you wanted to support us, you know, you can give a monthly donation um, or you can give a one-time donation even um, just to help us further our capabilities here at Fear the Talking Queers. <laughs> Anything that you do donate, we will put it towards something show related. We're not going to be out here uh, buying Taco Bell with it. Take, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe. I can't guarantee that on my <laughs> part. <laughs> well, actually, now that I that I brought that up, <laughs> at the end of the day, all we really want you to do is listen to this show because Please. we love seeing that people actually love to listen to us and love the show. So we're so happy that we're here and you're listening. Yes, absolutely. All right, space cadets, get out of here. Fly <laughs> back to your planet. And we will see you next week for it. So, sweet screams, bitch. Bye. Ack, ack.